0: Hey everybody, Uh, we're back. This is Nate on Theology of Everything. I'm here with Joe again, as per usual. Today we're taking your guys' questions, which we've been gathering for the past few weeks. We've got enough that we feel confident to start this now. We got some responses that we thought were really interesting, uh, and we're not going to be able to get to them all. Uh, We kind of lumped a bunch of them together, and so we're going to deal with this kind of general topic of the theology of money, basically, and kind of how we go about interacting with it in our daily lives. Joe, where do you want to start with this? Let's just yeah. start
1: with giving. Okay, That's a good cool. Place, I think. Kind of as a, I think as a baseline for Christians, we have, I don't know what you think about the concept of tithing. Uh, my family is a tithing family. So we do that as a as a baseline, uh, you give 10%. And my family's thought pretty seriously about tithing and how like the concept of tithing from the idea of first fruits, right? Right. Uh, tithing comes from this idea that in the Old Testament you take uh, approximately 10% of uh, the first fruits of your harvest, right? You know, you yeah. have you have land, you're growing something, you take the first 10% of it and you give it to the temple. You sacrifice it there. And so the, the big thing that I've taken out of like the way that my family is tied uh, and the way that I think that like uh, because tithing I think can be bad and I grew up in a church where people uh, for the first point people didn't really tithe uh, but when they did tithe it was uh, the back 10%, right? Like they spent right. they spent their 90% on what they needed to and then they're like okay cool we do have 10% left over. Yeah, uh, yeah, whereas like the first fruits like like you took the the first and the best ten percent, right? Yeah, uh, I think that's, that's I think how, that's really important. Yeah, like this, that's how we we've, uh, we've thought about it in my family and how I've thought about it is, you give ten percent off the bat. Like I get my paycheck, I look at it and I say, okay, there's ten percent. And a big part of it, I think, uh, especially with giving, isn't so much as what you're giving. We see that obviously in the parable of the the or the story of the widow who gives, you know two pennies into the offering plate.
0: And Jesus says that she gave more than this guy who came in and made like some gigantic donation.
1: Yeah. 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 And something probably like comparable a day might be, you know, a homeless man walking in and putting $5 in the offering plate and, you know, a lawyer plopping down a couple thousand on a Sunday. Right. Uh, Part of it, I think, is. You're also, because you're giving the first 10% right off the bat, you're relying on God to live off of 90% of your income, right? You're not living off of 100% of your income. You're living off of 90% right yeah. off the bat. I think and for people, this can be a stretch.
0: I think that concept of giving the first 10%, that's kind of the spiritual side of the act of of the giving, you know? Mm -hmm. There's a practical side of it within the church. Our tithing and our our donations, our giving, that's what the church runs off of. If we've got Mm -hmm. staff members, if the church wants to do things in the community, and if we as the body of the church want to see that happening, well, we've got to give because otherwise there's nothing funding that. And so Mm -hmm. that's the practical side, but the giving the the 10% right off the bat that's a spiritual act of trusting God that he'll take care of you and that even if things don't go well that month, you know, like God's still Mm going to take care of us. And we trust that enough that we're going to take 10% right off the top and give that to him right away. But then I think it's also important to realize that that's what we're committing immediately. Mm -hmm. And then with the idea for what I believe with the idea that there's going to be more later on. This is the 10% I'm putting up off the front, and then I'm going to pay my expenses and whatever it is through the month, and then hopefully there's more I can give after.
1: I'm, I'm with you there. But there's also, I wouldn't ask a Christian to tie 10%, pay for their mortgage insurance, like whatever living costs they have, and say that they have 30% left over. I'm not going to say, oh yeah, now give that 30% all of it. Right off, like right off the bat. Yeah. Well, uh, no, I, wouldn't, right I
0: wouldn't tell someone to do that either. But yeah. <laughs> if it was someone who I know and I have a good relationship with, I might challenge them to, to give more. But, I mean, that's different. I don't think it's a requirement. Yeah. I don't, definitely don't think it doesn't make you a good Christian or anything like that if you don't. Or even if you don't tithe. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I do think that everyone should tithe. But I also think it should be done of each person's own free will. I think it should be offered up gladly to God. And mm-hmm. if it's not, then I don't think it should happen.
1: Yeah, definitely. Again, if he's there, I think that I I think everyone should tithe. And if you have a problem with tithing in your heart, I think that that should is a place where you can sit down and examine: is it the concept of what is about tithing that you don't like? What is it about giving that you don't like? Yeah. Uh, and is it maybe that I think that, like, especially in North America, we can get really swept up in, in the financial aspects of our lives. Like, we can look forward all the way to retirement and be saying like, oh, well, I can't give 10% of my paycheck away. I have to save. You can look at your budget and be like, well, I have this much that I have to use on living and this much that I have to use on insurance and on blank and blank and blank, and blank, and blank. Oh, and then I have this 10% that I have over. I need to save. But you, like put the savings and to a reti- retirement fund yeah which you can be faithful with your money outside of giving it to the church directly I, I don't know if i would say that like for every person that you need to like give away from your retirement funds uh i think that you can still save for the future and be faithful we, we don't want to make that. everybody
0: destitute
1: yeah and that's we can see like in pic- the first picture of the church yes people gave a lot but there's still plenty of people who were wealthy in the early church i'm sure someone who's listening has heard like stories of martin luther uh, before he married he he was close to being like homeless he was close to like <laughs> to not being able to pay for his own food because he would teach at a university and take this like paltry payment and like people would like try to give him money and be like no can't give money and let her like he preach at a church. Uh, and they would say, like, oh, like, let's give his, let us, let's give you a little bit like of compensation for the service you've done. And he'd just deny it. And like everything he did get, he just gave away. And like it was to the point where he'd like miss out on meals or all this stuff because he couldn't pay for it because he just gave all his money away. And that's not something that I think was good for him, even. I think that that was actually potentially a way that uh, a person could give away all their money and be unfaithful in that. I think you can like give all your money to other people and it'd be a bad thing
0: keep in mind that i know this isn't practical and i don't think it would be for everybody but this is kind of my dream i would love to see happen and mm-hmm. recognize that it probably won't but what i would love to see and what i think would be the most faithful way that i could see this would have to work with a group of people it wouldn't be one individual so with the church Mm -hmm. we'll call this the church doing with their money would be to go all out in that axe version of the the church where everyone takes what they have and basically sells it sells it off and people would keep their jobs and continue doing whatever they're doing and stuff like that but basically get rid of all the stuff we don't need live in community as much as possible, and basically pool all our money, pool the money and the resources that each member has, so it kind of gets all together and then redisperse it between us whenever we need so basically it 's saying I know i 'm in a position where i 'm pretty well off, I have stuff i don 't need i 'm well taken care of, and realizing and i i 'm realizing that as someone who lives in North America, United States or Canada, probably that's most people in the congregation. Mm -hmm. And then to do that and then say, all right, I know that when I hit a rough patch, when I am really going to need help and would need those savings that I would otherwise have had, the rest of the community is going to have my back. And these funds that we've been sharing together, I'm going to get some of that kicking back to me at that point in time. And when I don't need it, then I don't need that kickback. And we can disperse it among the poor people in our community. And the church can use a lot of the rest of it because there's going to be extra if we do this, to reach out to the community and reach out into the world more globally. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you imagine the funds that will be there? Imagine what the church could do with that. That would be amazing. But you'd need heavy buy-in from a large number of people to make that work. And for those reasons, it's not practical. And I don't expect it to happen anytime soon, Mm -hmm. for sure, and probably never in my lifetime, which... I am a little bit sad about because I think it's really cool. I know it sounds like communism, <laughs> but it's completely different. It's not the government, and these people don't have governance over whatever aspect of our lives, but it's just living in true community, trusting each other and trusting God enough to commit to that. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it that way, I think it's actually really beautiful.
1: Yeah, I think I wouldn't call it communism. I think like there's some elements that like communism has that that share in common that i i know you separated. wouldn't
0: call communism and i wouldn't call well, it communism and, uh, people that accuse for, me of being a communist for bringing that up yeah
1: I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying i'm saying this mostly for anybody listening that might have heard what you said and said wait that's communism <laughs> i think that there's a huge difference in motivation and execution there uh, in this picture of maybe what the what the church could do and i think you're right i think it is impractical even as we see that it didn't last in Acts, by the time Acts is over, we don't have that same picture of the yeah. church. Right? I do you think got...
0: it's interesting to look at the reasons why, though. I think a mm-hmm. lot of that would be due to just human greed, really.
1: Yeah, I think I think there's probably a big reason is that people are greedy, uh, and people have had problems with money or resources in general. Yeah. That would be interesting to look at. Uh, that I don't want to, like, derail my own train of thought is how the sabbath worked with farming like god told israel to give the land a sabbath year an entire year where you didn't farm you didn't grow any food for a year in a way that kind of like a tithing of resources i think the sabbath like isn't with money but like i'm going to trust god to provide even just like weekly
0: yeah
1: without doing work for one day a week without farming for an entire year out of uh Seven. Out of seven, or you know, even like there's a year of jubilee on the 49th year.
0: So basically, in the year of jubilee, God decreed that all debts are canceled out, and all property in the land of Israel returned to its original owners at that point in time. And and people had systems in place so that. As you go through the years, as you're getting closer and closer to this year of Jubilee, the value of property to buy obviously drops because, Mm -hmm. you know, once you get to that point, it's going back to the original owner and it's not going to be yours anymore. But basically the reason they did this, and it seems really unfair if you don't understand the context, but originally God doled out the property in the land of Israel pretty evenly among all the people Mm -hmm. so that everyone had enough And then as things progress, you know, some people are much more talented at acquiring money and goods and land and things like that. And so some people would end up being very poor and some people would end up being very rich. And this was kind of to help reset things, um, Mm -hmm. to raise people who have fallen below the poverty line and into destitution, to raise them back into Good standing and prosperity within the community. We didn't. We don't actually really have a lot of evidence that it was very closely followed, but yeah, I I, awesome. I I don't think it was.
1: I don't think that the practice was followed probably hardly at all. Yeah,
0: I don't uh, think so either.
1: Because also the seventh year, like not far, that wasn't followed. We can see like throughout the book there's like hints that like they're not following the Sabbath year for the land, yeah. and as part of even like Israel being exiled, part of it was that they weren't obeying the laws of the sabbath even yeah. though like if Pharisees again and again would say oh we're obeying the laws of the sabbath well, actually you're not <laughs> like as much as you think you are you might be following the weekly laws but the yearly the, the jubilee laws weren't being followed I think by large yeah
0: you know it's interesting because there's a practical and spiritual side there again too Mm -hmm. Right? Because we know now that that practice of giving the land some time, a year say, off of growing things in it, actually really helps to replenish the nutrients in the soil. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, they wouldn't have known that then, but we know that now. And it's actually become pretty common farming practice again to do that. Mm -hmm. And they don't do it every seven years. I think it's more like every 10 or something like that.
1: We do that practically. But like I think you're gonna, like as you're about to probably getting into like spiritual sides of it. We don't yeah. do it spiritually. Like really. we do like rotation of crops. We don't just say, hey, I'm gonna stop farming my land for a year. Yeah. Uh, so
0: say you have ten fields, you'd farm nine of them each year, and then you'd rotate which field is being unused. That's kind mm-hmm. of the way we do it now. But yeah. yeah, you're right. That spiritual side of it is missing, and that spiritual side of it is again trusting to God, you know, what we've been able to store up over these past seven years is going to be enough and that, you know, we can leave this this year and God will take care of us.
1: And we'll replenish the land so that the year after you have a bumper crop. Exactly. All this to say that there there are aspects uh, throughout our life that connect to the idea of tithing and trusting God with our resources, not just monetarily, but with everything that we have, really.
0: So To sum up this little bit, this theology of giving, maybe we could say that tithing is important. It's there in the Bible and we believe everyone should tithe and that it should be done with a glad heart. It should be given willingly and even gratefully to God um, Mm -hmm. in recognition that the rest of that 90% that we're hanging on to is actually His too. That's actually the real gift is to us and that's that's kind of the way we would view it i think um Mm -hmm. that it should be done willingly and all christians should be doing it willingly but if you're not doing it willingly then you probably shouldn't do it at all yes
1: honestly i think that for the most part agree there that last point of maybe you shouldn't be doing it at all i think there are times when there's a benefit to the practice of forcing yourself to do something even when your heart's not in it yes that's true so like probably part of where you're trying to get there if someone is like needing to, if like if you are about to put a 20 in the plate uh or bag however you guys do offering and someone has to kind of like grab at the 20 and you're like no 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 please no like there's probably a place there where you like drop the 20 in the plate or not you need to stop like and re re-examine where you're coming from and what's going on in your heart yeah uh, but definitely. i think there's there's a uh, benefit to thinking, you know, I don't want to tie this month. I actually really do need that 10%. I don't want to do it. Yeah. I'm going to do it anyways and force myself to rely on the grace of God in yeah. that way.
0: But I think more what I was getting at is if you go through that process, then you're still arriving at a point where you're willing to do it. But I think mm-hmm. if you, if someone's feeling like coerced into doing it or like, I'm doing this because I feel really guilty and I'm feeling like I'm being forced to do this. Then that's a point where you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be
1: doing that. I can see maybe how, cause I don't think you should stop tithing. I think we could possibly use that explanation as a cop out for not tithing. Sure. Uh, that someone could use it that way. I think there might be like a benefit of potentially like taking a break from it to see how is that affecting you? Sure. Uh, I think really more like if you can recognize that you have those feelings as you tithe, there's really more a place to not stop tithing, to not tithe, right? but to re-examine your own heart and bring those feelings to the Lord.
0: Yeah, and say, really pray like, into that. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, true. I guess I'm thinking mean, more of... In the case of maybe someone who's new to coming to church and i mean maybe they don't really get the concept Mm -hmm. or maybe you grew up in a really legalistic system and that's the only way you can see it right Mm -hmm. um yeah first of all i mean i think there's bigger issues there that need to be dealt with Mm -hmm. but from a ministry standpoint i think i'd even prefer if someone's giving for those reasons for like legalistic, I must do this, this is what is making me a Christian, this is what is gaining me acceptance in God's eyes. If someone's stuck in that kind of thinking I would actually rather they're not tithing because I don't want that money. I guess it's appreciated but I would much rather you get to a good place spiritually and if not tithing for a while and bringing that to God and working that stuff out and getting to a place where you're not doing that where you're giving with a glad heart and it's out of gratitude, not out of coercion, really, then Mm -hmm. I think that's much better.
1: Yeah, definitely. Those nuances, like, as I see, I, I definitely agree with that. And, like, as someone who plans on being a pastor and will literally live off of tithes and generosity at some point in my life, yeah, I would rather me be clothed in rags and hungry all the time if that meant that people were in a good place with God, then be well-fed and you know spiffy and have a, or my congregation dying inside.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. A great use of the word spiffy there, by the way. I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's actually interesting that you brought that up. I was thinking a while ago, so I'm working on my master's right now, which takes up a chunk of time in my week. <laughs> and then, I mean, I'm involved with my church and doing some other ministry stuff too. So that takes up a chunk of time. So I work two and sometimes three days a week. And I was thinking, and I was like, well, I'm saving up for these things and there's that going on. And I'm tithing and giving to the church and different things. And I was, I was kind of thinking and I was like, man, I really don't want to give up this ministry. I feel really strongly that I should keep doing this, but I could really use another day of work. Mm-hmm. And I'm not in a position where I would need to do this. But I was thinking, I was like, would I be okay if instead of eating three meals a day, I just did two? I know, I know physically I'd be fine if I did that. I'd be kind of hungry and I wouldn't really enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> but if it got to that point, which it never has, and if I keep going like this, it won't. But if it did, would I be okay with that? And I was kind of tossing it around a little bit. And then I just kind of really, it happened quite quickly, the shift where I was like, wait, no, yeah, of course I'd be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Of course. Like Christians have suffered much worse for God. And <laughs> this too is barely suffering at all. Like <laughs> how, how petty and ridiculous am I? Like, come on, yeah. this is fine. If it gets to that point, it'll be fine. Just yeah. go for it. It's all right. Uh-huh. And that kind of... I feel like that really kinda of ties in with what we're talking about. And that hasn't happened. My savings account has gone up a little bit since then. So it's fine. <laughs> Things are like I'm doing yeah. perfectly fine. But oh, yeah. yeah, it was it was good for me to work that out and get to the point where I was able to commit to saying that if it gets to that point then that's okay and I trust God in that. That that was good for me. Spiritually, mm-hmm. that was a good thing yeah. for me. Yeah, definitely. So we covered Intel. giving, do you want to go through like investing and saving really briefly?
1: Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of the same concepts in there. I, I know one Bible verse that I thought of immediately when I saw this idea decided like investing and saving money. James 4.13 uh, in the New American Standard Bible, is how it reads. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, you will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. And the kind of idea behind it is kind of obscure and vague, I think, as it reads in that passage. There were a number of people that James is speaking to that were investors and tradesmen that would go from city to city from port to port and invest or sell specific things at a specific place and they would plan it out It's say like, oh we had this idea that we're gonna like think of it as maybe businessmen today who have an uh, idea for a like a year-long or a two-year-long project and say i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna profit off of it for a year or two I'm move on to the next thing because it's going to be done by them and like people who are successful doing these kind of like year two year long projects but james is saying that like we shouldn't talk about it as like i have the skill to go profit off this year-long project or even like i have the skill to go make a business and profit off of it here for however long james says instead you have to say if the lord wills we will live and also do this or that it's all about what the lord has for your life and I think even back in the first century, <laughs> we had people who thought that they were gonna you know, get rich quick off of this or that, off of their own skill, uh, off their own planning, when it just doesn't happen that way. And that's a, a unfaithful way to handle going about making money.
0: I think it's even more broadly applicable than that too. I mean, for everybody, I think. I mean, this passage is a great example of looking at it and saying all that I have and all that I make and everything that I'm going to make in the future is from God. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. happen without God willing it to happen. And so I still think that means that people should work hard at their jobs. The Bible talks about doing work as unto the Lord, and it's specifically talking to slaves there, but that's applicable for all of us. Um, Mm -hmm. We should do our jobs and do them well and work hard as if we're working for God directly. And then along with that is the realization that though we're doing this work, God is the one providing the work And God is the one providing the funds that we're being paid out of for that work. And so recognizing that, and then also that we're God's servants here on earth. And so all that we have and all that we accumulate, not only is it coming from him and because of him, but it actually belongs to him as well because we belong to him. And I think Mm -hmm. looking at money from that angle, from that direction, I think it shines an entirely different light on it. Um, and just the attitude we take towards it as well
1: very quickly i think before we move on i want to bring up a parable of talents I and mean, we can connect that back to what we were just talking about with giving uh, but also investing you know we have a, a a man who is talking to his servants who is obviously rich because he has plenty of money to give away like he's just giving to his servants a total of, in this passage eight talents which in our of kind of scheme of things is probably like this, the uh, first thing I'm looking at, says so a talent could be worth up to one and a quarter million dollars.
0: Whoa. <laughs> let's uh, let's be conservative and say it's less than that.
1: Even if it's just $10,000. Yeah, and this guy is just handing to his servants 80, a one servant, 50000 one servant, twenty, one one servant, $10,000. And that's not all of his money, right? This this guy is, this is just some money that he's giving to his servants to handle and deal with while he's away, probably for use of running his estate partially right like his estate has to run while he's gone so he has to give his servants some money to do it but we have this this picture of we have a couple servants investing and doubling the amount that they had and one servant stashing it away and giving exactly what he got just making sure he doesn't lose it yeah and so we have obviously that picture like we're told yes it's wrong it was wrong with the one servant to just stash it away and make sure you didn't lose it and it was good of the two servants to invest it and deal with it faithfully and grow it and if we like some people might think best just give all the money away that you have right as soon as you make it give it away in this parable the master is in in some form he's like representing god right what we're given we're meant to increase whether that's, and I don't think that's like a straight like formula of like, oh, God gave us money, we're meant to increase that money. Not exactly, but we were meant to deal with our resources in a way to increase the kingdom of God, right? right. The kind of talents here represent the kingdom of God more than they do money. So uh, the way
0: that, that I would probably yeah. interpret this this parable would be that we're really supposed to take what God gives us and grow it in order to give more back to him. So whether that's money or land, whatever, whatever God happens to have gifted each of us with, Mm -hmm. we're meant to grow that and enhance it and get more of it or make it better or whatever it is, and then deliver that back to God so that we're Mm -hmm. actually able to return more to God and return more to the kingdom than what we were originally given.
1: When someone asks about giving, investing, all this stuff, savings how do we deal with that faith because as a christian it's not a, a like a strict formula like oh yeah you give 10 percent, you use 50 percent to live and the other 40 percent you save or you know you save 20 and give 20 to it's not a not a strict formula for anyone to follow you you have to learn how to deal with your money and your resources in such a way that you are both growing and giving, getting to the place where you can give more and grow to him and God more. It's not going to be a strict formula for anyone.
0: I do think that if God lays it on your heart, in some cases it's appropriate to give everything, mm-hmm. you know, and to just not worry about it and to say, well, I trust that God will take care of me. Here it is. This is all I have. I'm putting it all in. I see this huge need and I believe God is calling me to answer it and i can do that if i give everything right now if god lays it on someone i don't think it's inappropriate of him for them for to do that but i think that's a pretty radical example um mm-hmm. and it's one that i kind of tend to favor um yeah. <laughs> like we talked about before um i wish everyone would do that and we could pool it all together and invest all of it you know and then redistribute it like that Um, that would be awesome. I recognize that's not the way it works. That's not the only way to do things, basically, Mm -hmm. is what I'm getting at.
1: And I don't know how my parents would feel about me using them as an example in a podcast that's going to be heard by strangers. (laughs) I I really do look to my parents as a way of, for the the large part, as far as I know, faithfully dealing with their money. And through hard times and bad, they give well above and beyond 10%. But at the same time, they have, manage to care for themselves for me and my sisters and help us through college and manage to give and give and give and give and give without ruining their own lives and you know also making sure that they're doing so in a way that's going to grow the kingdom of God. you know they're not giving blindly, but it, I think it's a a more common example. Right? I'm not yeah. sure that even like you're talking about your example might be radical. I don't know if it's that, if I would say it's that radical necessarily but more that it's that rare or extreme.
0: Sure. My parents are great examples of that too. They probably don't want me to go into it too much so I won't, but <laughs> they've been a great example for me in that area and I know that they they give a lot. It's informed the way that I view things for sure. So mm-hmm. and you've heard the way I view things so you can take from that what you will my parents have a house uh they've got five kids who they've been able to raise so clearly they didn't give everything away but at the same time in some ways they kind of did it's awesome. So, moral of the
1: story so far is my parents and your parents are awesome thank you guys so much yeah
0: (laughs) there we go podcast over
1: Mother's Day was last Sunday. Father's Day is coming up.
0: So we're splitting the two and saying thanks, mom and dad, for being really wonderful role models, especially in the area of finances. (laughs) Thank you. All right, let's (laughs) move on. We had another question related to this. Two questions, actually, but they're very intertwined. So I'm just going to kind of read them out and then we're going to deal with them. So the question was, why does the Western church, uh, and specifically in North America, Seem to view God's favor as being the same thing uh, as material and monetary blessings? And does this same idea and thinking apply to developing third world countries? Why do you view it that way? And is that accurate? I guess is the way that we're going to frame that.
1: I'm going to go ahead and say something about third world countries because I think in some ways they do have similar ideas, but in other ways it's totally different because I have seen and like heard of people like churches that they can like fall into similar traps of saying like oh if you have a huge church that means god has blessed that church Mm -hmm. Uh, or like you have a house and can eat that's a blessing of god but in some ways it's different because they actually view little things of like god the caring as blessing right like in third world countries they can see eating that day as blessing. Yeah. Whereas in North America, I mean, I know I took breakfast this morning for granted. Like I just got up and ate and went to work. Yeah. I think about eating breakfast as a blessing of God. You know, yeah. I specifically
0: remember not getting down on my knees and profusely <laughs> thanking God that I have something to fill my belly today. Yeah. Um,
1: which is like that's what happened here. <laughs> like. I know. Um, but
0: I mean, we kind of should. It's kind of yeah, it's amazing like, and wonderful. <laughs>
1: That yes, and yeah, I actually am remembering. I don't know if I'm gonna remember the author, a quote that I heard at some point or read at some point from an author who I cannot remember who talked about how eating shouldn't be taken for granted, but it should also be like we should think about eating like the the way that we need food, we should use that to think about how we need God, yeah, right? Like, I, I mean, need Jesus God, makes like, that clear, right? Food.
0: And that's in the entirety of what Jesus is getting at when he's in the, the desert and he's being tempted. And he says that man does not live on bread alone, but mm-hmm. every, every word from the mouth of God, right? Mm-hmm. So, Same thing.
1: So getting back, like I think that does connect to the question, but getting back more specifically to it, I think that in third world countries, it's to, a, to, a different ballgame even. Like yeah. when, when the Western church looks at material blessing we don't look at it as god taking care of our needs or even making us comfortable we look at it as god why haven't you given me more than what why haven't you given me more than comfort why am i why haven't you made me royalty why can't i have every little thing i want god i think that's a
0: pretty huge generalization um, yes
1: yes i mean
0: <laughs> to some degree it's accurate which is disturbing mm-hmm. but Clearly, that's not the case for everybody, or probably even a majority of people. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's a problem. I do think that we tend to view having money or having a house or being taken care of as God has blessed me. And if I don't have that, then God hasn't blessed me. Mm -hmm. And what's going on there? And that's, I think, where the real danger lies. I mean, those are blessings from God. But at the same time, if you don't have that, that doesn't mean that you're not a blessed person, or that God's yeah. not on your side, and if mm-hmm. you do have that, that doesn't mean that God's more on your side than someone else. That's just not the way it works. That yep. sort of thinking is ridiculous, and it's mm-hmm. nowhere in scripture
1: well, yeah, and we actually we see this idea of being refuted time and time again in scripture, actually, yeah, and there's a large like the entire book of Job is dedicated to refuting this idea of material or tangible things being conflated with the grace and blessings of god right we see as like we go through job that at first it looks like oh yes job is a faithful and wonderful man the best on earth at this time of course he's rich and has land and plenty of sons and daughters and animals and of course he has these material things he's a Mm -hmm. faithful man and then god takes it all away and then his friends we see us saying oh well obviously you must have done something wrong to deserve this wrath but that wasn't it that wasn't the point of of what happened to him and really the point was like with nothing and with everything Job was actually a faithful man his his wealth had nothing to do with whether or not god was on his side at that time
0: yeah i think the book is pretty clear too, that Job doesn't fall out of favor with God. Mm -hmm. At no point is his stature before God changed because of the circumstances that he finds himself in. And the circumstances don't change due to uh, some sort of change in favor either. It doesn't work either way like that. I think this whole notion that there's some sort of connection there should really be severed. And I think I mean, even looking at like the prosperity gospel, which that does happen in third world countries too, but it's, it's pretty mm-hmm. strong here. This is a pretty natural earthly way to think of things. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's kind of all over the place. And yeah. it's, it's pretty popular because with our earthly logic, it kind of kind of seems like it makes sense. Yeah. But I mean, even if we look at Jesus, if we look at his life and we say, he's our example, this is a perfect human being. Here's what we should try to look like. Jesus was homeless. He talks about how (laughs) uh, the birds of the air have nests and foxes have dens, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. Jesus didn't have a house. He didn't have a home. You don't get more blessed than Jesus. And you don't get more blessed than Jesus.
1: Well, at the same point, you also don't get more cursed than Jesus.
0: Well, no, that's true. But, (laughs) I mean, Christ promised us as his followers. Mm Mm-hmm that we'd get more of the same. He promised us death and persecution. He didn't promise us beautiful houses. What he did mm-hmm. promise was eternal life with him after all of this. That's, that's the key to hang on to. It's not anything in this life. Mm-hmm. It's what happens in the next.
1: And that like, brings to mind, like, we have several parables that use wealth as a direct correlation with blessing but instead of wealth being the blessing in the parable, the, the blessing is actually the kingdom of God, right? It's not, the kingdom is talking about the relationship with God, it's talking about eternal life, right? We have this idea of like, uh, a man upon finding that there's treasure in a field sells all he has and buys the field. The representation of the parable is not monetary gain, rather it's gain of the kingdom of God, it's gain yeah. of Jesus, gain of eternal life. Or... Yeah, and
0: that that's why it's important to read when we're reading the Bible to not just read like the little section but to read the stuff around it too because, mm-hmm. I mean, Especially Jesus explains that. He explains that in there. But yeah, that often gets forgotten about with money and material things. Yes, it is a blessing from God but it could be given to anyone and it might mm-hmm. be specifically given to you because you're faithful and because you have favor with God but someone could be Equally faithful, and God could have just as much favor for them, and they could be starving to death. That doesn't mean that they're any they're any lesser in the sight of God, or that they've done anything wrong to deserve that. That's just the way things shook out.
1: There's so many different characters that come to mind who we see. Like, yeah, even like as simple as like the patriarchs. Like, at times they are down on their luck. Abraham was the only blessed man. In almost on the world at this point, and at times he was wandering around with nothing, <laughs> and then at other points, he had plenty, or like David, he was the anointed one of God, and yet. For a soldier, is like, he's, his he's on the run and has yeah. nothing. And then at other points, he has too much even for his own good. And or... then,
0: I mean, if we look at the disciples, too, in their lives, especially after Jesus has been ascended, yep. almost all of them are executed. <laughs> and then we see, like, Stephen and other guys in the New Testament who they get stoned for preaching the word of God. They tell people about Jesus and are immediately killed because of it. Yep. That's their blessing. Like yeah. they are they are blessed. Yep. And their blessing is they get to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. Mm-hmm. How wonderful is that? It really yeah, is. Yeah, like
1: better than any monetary gain. Like... Seriously. Like monetary gain is a short-sighted and ironically poor view of blessing. So Uh,
0: I think the takeaway here is God might bless you with material things, but that doesn't make you any better or worse than anyone else and God might allow you to starve to death but that doesn't make you any better or worse than anyone else in God's eyes it's just Mm -hmm. not really connected so do remain faithful to God and you might get a beautiful house and all that stuff and you might get rocks thrown at you until you're dead (laughs) (laughs) yeah it could be either one
1: it's almost it's almost funny like or like if we even look at the storyline of Job, you're faithful to God, you might get a beautiful house. Yeah. And then if you continue to be faithful to God, it might burn down. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you continue to be faithful to God, he may or may not give you another beautiful house. Yeah. Like it, it The material blessing, way. it doesn't add up as a, if you're faithful, you get X good thing. If you're not, you'll have X good thing taken away from you. Yeah. Uh, that's just a term that I just remembered it's the retribution principle. Uh, and it goes like there's other terms that people use for the same principle. And it's the thought that it does work that way. It's basically like the karma principle that right. if you do something good, good will be given to you. If you do something bad, something bad will happen to you.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's, just, kind of some, <laughs> there's, there's kind of some support for that in Proverbs and stuff like that. But At I points, mean, you've got to yeah. read Proverbs for what it is. Proverbs is generalizations. Mm-hmm. That's what they are. They're Proverbs. They're general pithy sayings that hold wisdom. And mm-hmm. for the most part, if you do good things for people, good things will come back to you because people appreciate that. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of a general thing, but it's not the same, you
1: know? Yeah, like on the opposite side, we have the Psalms where people like David and other people, they uh, like yeah. continually say, god why did you give something good to this person that hates me well you gave, i i love you this person hates you and you give something good to him like what's going on here god like come on we just see time and time again that like there's things just aren't, no correlation there's a reason i think why i think like i believe that god like doesn't just hand out blessing glory i think there's there's a reason with his blessing and reason with his his wrath but I'm not God. I don't know why. Like I don't know why people benefit from using slave labor in Asia. I don't know why people benefit off of that and why they don't get destroyed by God right away for being evil. I don't don't get it.
0: I think, I mean, I do think it goes back to that longer perspective, right? I think we usually (laughs) get caught up in thinking about things in terms of what's going on here in this life, on this earth right now. And God just doesn't do that. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes God does stuff in the moment like that, but that's mm-hmm. rare. Mostly yeah. people are judged in the end. Yeah. On the last day, we'll all be judged and that's where all of it's going to be set right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's part of the beauty of the gospel too, that if you'll just accept Jesus and give him your life, all those horrible things that we've all done, those won't be mm-hmm. counted against us. That's incredible.
1: You we were saying earlier in connection with like giving, like rather like I'd rather this than that, like here I'd rather be poor and hungry my entire life and in the end, move on to spend eternity with Jesus than have at the very best a hundred plus years like if i if I expect myself to live that long of wealth the the money is the short sighted choice,
0: so yeah, definitely, well, we should probably end it there. Thanks for listening. Hopefully, this is interesting content for you. We've enjoyed talking about it, I think. I have yeah, same. We're gonna try and come up with another one of these in a couple of weeks. God is great. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right. Sign it off. I'm Nate.
1: That I'm Joe.
0: And uh, this has been theology of everything. Have a great week.
1: Peace.